Hi everybody, and welcome to our NADOC week special. Um, this is certainly a, a highlight of the year, which I've very much been looking forward to. As you know, over the last couple of years, we've gone on our own journey with regards to um, our, the way we've, we've built up our knowledge and uh, the way that we're moving towards greater acknowledgement in regards to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders peoples. And, and that's started off in many ways with our own uh, teams. We've recruited more and more people to join our organisation and they've been some fantastic um, employees and team members and colleagues. We've set up a, a team that specifically supports uh, the community, uh, headed up by Anthony Bevan, which has been fantastically successful in working with the government and with a number of communities around Australia. Um, Helen uh, Wilkes in Cairns also sets up an audit group that works with a very large number of um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island uh, communities. So we've got a lot of exposure and a lot of knowledge uh, in parts of our firm. There's an opportunity for us to expand on that. Our Grant Thornton Foundation, as you know, works with streets movements. It's one of our three uh, national groups and the streets movement specifically works at helping support um, local kids in the Cairns area um, or, that are Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander backgrounds and giving them an opportunity to um, have activities, to get them off the streets, assist them in, um, in, in having support networks and uh, giving them a real focus in life. And that's something that, you know, they do a wonderful job and we're really pleased and proud to be, to be associated with. But, um, and, the, and the next step for us, which we're really just getting onto is our reconciliation plan. And that's really for us, uh, the next important call uh, for us as an organization, because it starts to uh, create a bit, much better structure for us moving forward. And so I look forward to, to us getting into that stage in these next 12 months. But I encourage you to go and grab a coffee, um, maybe put us on pause if you're not watching it live, grab a coffee and sit back because we're going to have 15, 20 minutes uh, conversation with Isaiah Dorr. And Isaiah um, heads up a group known as ID Know Yourself. So welcome, Isaiah. Thank you, Greg. Pleasure to be here. Oh, thanks, mate. We're really, we're real, I've been really looking forward um, to, to this meeting. Maybe if I just start by doing my own acknowledgement of country and then if I could pass to yourself and we'll, we'll kick it off. Uh, I'm currently at, uh, at Phillip Island and a lot of the people at GT know that that's where um, I've got a beach house and during various lockdowns, head, this is my sanctuary that I sort of head to. Um, its um, traditional name is Milau and um, so I'd like to acknowledge the Yellow Bullock people uh, who are the traditional owners from the Bunurong clan and recognise their elders past, present and of course emerging. Um, and then I'll hand over to you as well, Isaac. Yeah, deadly. Uh, so, uh... I would love to pay my respects to the traditional owners of lands and waters of which I'm Gadigalon today, which is the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and, uh, and a local uh, acknowledgement that we do here in Wongu language is And that, that, is, that means that um, this is the place of the Gadigal people. They say you're a stranger today, but not tomorrow. Fantastic. Love that. But you're not actually um, from that clan originally, are you? Where, can you just give us a bit about um, which clan you're from and, and where that's Yeah, like? Yeah, so I'm, a, I'm actually a bachelor in Gadawa, uh, Saltwater Murrayman. So bachelors of Harvey Bay, Maribor, Queensland and Gary, which is the traditional name of Fraser Island. Uh, beautiful country. We say uh, Mundai, Mundai. Yeah, uh, so Mundai, Mundai means beautiful and, and Gadawa country is up near the Gulf of Carpentaria. And so that's where my skin name uh, come from, uh, comes from, which is Yakamari. 
And and how when do you use your skin name, Isaiah? When is that? Do you use that? Is that used just? Um, you know, do you use that generally speaking, or only just at special occasions, or when you're with your family? Can you share that with us? Yeah. So within, um, you know, it's we're very very lucky and fortunate um, to to be able to keep that um, system going. And you know, for in in Gutter Country, in, in my family, you know, there's um, there's 16 skin names. And they're passed down to generation and generation. Um, and the whole system is, is really around um, the kingship system and, and, uh, and, wh- and where you fit within the community. And so um, Yakamari, so my, my sister's skin name is Yakamarinya. Um, you know, for my, for my father's name, you know, for example, would be uh, Gangala. And um, most of these pronunciations, by the way, probably not correct. My uncle Fred will roast me. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's kind of like a, a system that's been yeah, passed down for generation to generation. Um, and fortunately, one of my uncles, Uncle Fred Leone, who's the Butler Songman, uh, he is really connected back up in the Gulf. So he goes up there every now and then. And um, he's, he's been able to give that knowledge back to, to us. So, yeah, whenever in community, that's, that's when I use it. And um, and from your and from your side, are you investing in building up your knowledge so that you too can pass that on to future generations? Absolutely. So I I usually have a, a Friday morning yarn time with my with my uncle Fred, uh, the yep. one I was talking about, and and that's all about learning from him. You know, he he when he was a kid, for example, he would always be sitting around our elders and yarning and listening to the stories and and listening to the songs and. And eventually, you know, he's told me this story himself, but when he was a, he was a, uh, you know, 10, and 10 to 12 years old, around that age, he started singing some of the songs. And some of the nans and pops were like, how do you, grandson, how do you know these songs? He's like, well, you know, I was always hanging around you guys instead of playing at the local park with the other kids, you know? So he really soaked it up as a, as a young one and, he, and he's got that knowledge. So I, uh, I learned, to, learned a lot from him, you know, from history to our ancestors to our beliefs, our values, our laws, our bachelor laws, you know, we've got three bachelor laws, which I could talk about um, later on. And, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's really important. I think uh, culture is belonging and no matter where I go, if I have culture with me, I always feel a, a sense of connection and belonging. And, and as I, um, I'd love to, because it's, because it is so much part of your story, I'd love to go back a bit because you haven't always had you haven't always had that family around you and that connection to your own people and to your own country, have you? No, I haven't. And, you know, I, so I grew up in out of home care when I was, I was put into the system when I was two months old and I stayed in the system until I was 18 years old. And within that time in care, I went through 17 different foster homes and, you know, there was, there were, and there were terrible placements, you know, they weren't, they weren't homes. They, they weren't a place that I could, feel like I, I, I had that sense of belonging or I didn't feel a connection to the people I lived with. I didn't have trusting adults who supported me along my journey, but instead I had carers who were abusive. And um, I think the physical, uh, the physical abuse was one thing, but I think it was more the, the, um, the mental, the mental abuse and, and also the spiritual abuse. I mean, you know, that's taken away from, from my family and my culture. And I just wanted to, feel like I knew where I come from. I, you know, you, you told all these stories when you grow up in care. You told that your family, well, I was told that my family abandoned me and that no one wanted me. 
And I grew up with that mentality through my childhood that, you know, I wasn't worth it. I wasn't, I wasn't a value. And um, when you're told that from a very young, young age that, you know, that you become brainwashed to think that's um, fact and truth. Um, but I think the one thing that even though I was taken away from my culture and my family and, and, um, and, you know, living in these, these homes, in these, in these placements, I, I knew that there was one thing that could never take away from me the system. And that was my mind. And I used to focus on things. Um, I, first, I used to focus on the positive things that I had. So fortunately, I was placed with my younger sister when I was seven. But my rest of my siblings, I, I didn't get to meet my entire time in, in care. And I lived in care until I was 18. But I did meet my younger sister when I was seven. We grew up in many country towns together all across, you know, Western New South Wales. And that's where... I really appreciated having her and I focused on that. You know, I thought, you know, I don't, don't have family. I don't, don't know much about my culture, but at least I've got my family or at least I've got a roof over my head. You know, it's not a safe place, but it's a roof over my head. Um, and I did have a couple of good friends that I grew up with and I used to focus on that and hang around those people um, because at a young age, I knew that if, whoever you hang around, hang around with is, is soon enough, that's who you become. And um, so first of all, can I say, I'm really sorry to hear that that was the background that you grew up in and that was your life as a young kid. It's just horrific to think that that was uh, something you had to endure where you were powerless and you, mm. you didn't have control and you had to trust others and to have 17 situations like that, you know, I'm not sure they weren't all the exact same, but to go through that much change and, and just, you know, be, I mean, really having a sister there in class one, two is pretty, pretty horrific. But it has helped shaped, it has helped shaped you, isn't it? Because you're looking to try to make it, you know, make sure other kids don't necessarily have that, that loneliness or know where to go. Is that, is that, is that part of your inspiration? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I founded a, non-for-profit Aboriginal mentoring organisation called ID Know Yourself uh, three years ago, just around three years ago. And that was on the inspiration of, of my own experiences. You know, I, I, I knew that I, I knew that life had a bigger purpose than what I was going through in at home care. I knew that there was something bigger for me one day and I didn't know what that was. And I was yeah. playing rugby league. I kind of thought that was what it was going to be when I was a kid, but I, I, gave, I kind of gave up on that because I was like, you know, it's not that, something that makes me fulfilled. And it was only until I went back into where I lived. I lived in this small country town called Yass um, yeah. and not too far away from Canberra. And I lived there for my, some of my childhood. And I grew up underneath uh, an Aboriginal elder called Eric Bell. And he was a, a Ngunnawal man. He was an Ngunnawal elder. And he used to do a lot for the community. And he was someone that I really looked to for inspiration. Um, but I was removed from his care suddenly uh, one day and taken to the headquarters. And then I, you know, skipped through many other homes and uh, placements. And then, but, uh, but it was only until like, it was around uh, a couple of years ago that I went back um, to Yas and what, and it wasn't for the best reasons. It was because my, my foster pop had passed away. And, um, and I went back to his funeral and I heard all the amazing stories of how, he helped change the community. You know, I was only a young kid when I used to go and help yeah. him cut wood or do the gardening and 
yeah. and go to the office and stuff. And I used to just watch him and he was just always working hard. So he's, I think he really paved away in terms of, you know, what, what change looks like. It's not what, you know, it's what you do. And he showed massive action and I wanted to be of the same influence. Uh, but when I went back to his funeral, that kind of um, rejuvenated that, that effort within me. And I, I knew that I had to carry on that baton because he did so much. And hearing the stories, there was you know, young kids speaking at his funeral. There was people from all walks of life. And even the, the, the priest was like, you know, this is the biggest funeral I've ever attended in over 20 years. Yeah. And, I, and it was just packed, like the, literally the whole streets, um, the, the church was full, the streets were full. Uh, it was like the whole town was there for this one man. And, and that really showed me, you know, the power of, of um, influence that he had. And the respect he'd created and the change he'd made. He's made a change in, he's made a change in you and I'm sure he would have been enormously proud of what you're doing now and carrying on his mantle. Yeah, absolutely. Isaiah, yeah. um, can you share with the group what um, ID Know Yourself? First of all, I've got to ask you, ID Know Yourself in, in one part, play on words, it has the whole ID identity, Know Yourself, but then you've got the Isaac Dool Know Yourself. Is yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So it's a, initials on my name, uh, ID, and then uh, Know Yourself means know what you can achieve, what you're capable of, and what exists outside of out of home care, showing the young kids that. There's opportunities out there and sometimes the kids need to see it in order for them to believe it for themselves and to become it. So that's what we're all about, showing them opportunities and experiences, create a better quality of life. But yeah, a lot of people always say, is ID, I've only just realized, people I've known for a couple of years go, I just realized, is ID your initials? And I'm like, yeah, it is as well. I wanted to uh, create something positive from, from the, the experiences I had. Yeah, our chair um, uh, often says, Louise McCann often says, you can't be what you can't see. And, you know, being able to set up scenarios where people can actually see community or in your case, or they can see, have a place safe or a harbour where they know they can go and learn and talk to others is, is incredible. So, you know, what, do you, what does the group do? What does the group actually sure. do to attend? Yeah, so uh, we support Aboriginal children who are in out-of-home care. So... And, and also those older young kids who are in contact with the juvenile justice system. Um, so it's quite inevitable that we will have young kids in out-of-home care who have been in contact with the juvenile justice system. For example, one statistic is that you, if, you're, if you're in out-of-home care, you're 16 times more likely to end up in the juvenile justice system than to finish school. So to kind of give you a de demographic around the, the, the work that we're doing. And we're... Uh, so our whole purpose for ID Know Yourself is to break the cycle. Yeah. And the cycle that exists in, in Australia is the uh, intergenerational cycle of trauma and disadvantage. And so for generations and generations, since stolen generation, uh, a lot of the kids' great-grandparents, and, and that has had an effect on our kids being in the situation that they're in and not with family, not with community, not with connected to culture, is because of the forced assimilation that was uh, brought down by this government and uh, that has had a ripple effect and um, and we're determined to break the cycle so the the way we do that is help our kids establish belonging discover purpose and empower positive decisions and so we've got kids from the age of seven years old to 19 years old yep. uh, both boys and girls we've supported over 70 kids in the last two years uh, which has been great which is obviously in, in the midst of COVID as well so we've had 
some some big challenges even as a in the midst of COVID. You know, like you, people, yeah, like that you know, you're less connected. So these sorts of groups are really important. Hundred percent, and the, and that's the thing. I think the a lot of the time, um, if you, I guess you know, in in COVID is a good example of the feelings that our kids have, um, because as you said earlier, Greg, you know, the feelings of loneliness that the kids have, they they do feel lonely and they don't have people who are supporting them in their life and they feel like they uh, they, they lose a lot of hope, you know, and, and I think that's what we're about. We're, we're helping establish hope in these kids' lives. So, and there's, a, there's an old uh, quote by Zig Ziglar that says, if there's hope in the future, there's power in the present. And so we're helping become that power for the kids and we do, we do all sorts of group sessions, so um, one-on-one sessions. Talk us about through the cooking and the yarns. Talk us through the stuff. Yeah. yeah, so uh, we focus on six key elements. So there's cultural identity, there's yarn time, so it's around storytelling, spiritual empowerment and healing. Um, then there's life skills, so cooking, cleaning, budgeting, hygiene, resume, letter building, uh, helping our kids become job-ready and getting them into employment. Then there's education, so helping them with their, their schoolwork, their homework and exams. And then, uh, and, and also we pick the kids up from school and take them to a program or vice versa, we pick the kids up from home and we take them to, to school. Then there's health, so mental health to also sexual health and even a kind of education piece within, uh, I think it's prevalent to, to this day and age and, and everything that has been going on, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, even in terms of gender equality um, to also uh, sexual assault um, for all our young young boys as well to learn and to, to understand and, and to be more aware um, and informed in, in that stuff. So we do all sorts of things. Um, that are real practical and stuff that you don't get taught at school that really is important in society and in our communities. They're massive and those issues are uh, all of the communities are grappling with. I mean, those issues you've just mentioned are, are no doubt more prevalent um, if you don't, don't have a structure and a family and those things, you're, you're at much mm. greater risk. But they are, they're, they're right throughout community. What sort of help are you getting to be able to tackle that, to make a difference in those mm. areas? Because the, there's a lot of people are looking for those answers. How do I? How do we break these cycles? Who's yeah, it? yeah, yeah. So we we co-collaborate. We're massive on collaboration. Um, we we always know that we're not the experts in everything, but we know people who are and focus on it. So we try and so for example, with the uh, gender equality, sexual assault, we partnered with a, an organisation called FemPower, and they run workshops and um, it's kids kid friendly. You know, it's really raw and honest and. Um, it's about truth telling and hearing stories from from people who um, are the experts, you know themselves. So the um, and people with lived experiences as well who can share and and help kind of guide us on on um, on on our journey. But yeah, we do a lot of stuff. We partner with so many other community organisations and um, and yeah, co collaborate because there's a, there's another old saying that if you if you want to go fast in life, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Yeah. And we're going together with, with everyone in the community. It's, and, and you obviously get a, a lot out of it, Isaiah. I mean, how's this, how has this ID Know Yourself affected you? 
Oh, it's you know the the kids. The people ask me, "Oh, who's your who's your role model or who's your who's your inspiration?" And every time it's the kids because these kids have gone through so much. You know, I've I've met kids who have been through fifty foster homes and they're fourteen years old. I've met people who have been abandoned, who've lived on the streets, um, kids who have just grown up in the juvenile justice system their whole life, and you know, through our programs, they've been able to get a job, get their own stability. Um, they help shadow mentoring the young kids in our program to help guide them through their mistakes that they've made along the way. And, um, you know, there's just so much inspiration that I get from the kids and it's the best job in the world. I don't even say it's a job. It's my passion. I just, you know, work massive days, but it doesn't feel like work. It's just something that I'm happy doing. So, yeah. How do they see you? What, what, what role, what role, are you like obviously your role model and your mentor and but like how do the kids how do the kids refer to you or how do they see you do you think well a lot of the i hear this from the mentors so um you know directly i don't i, I i've been there since day one with a lot of the kids and and to show the kind of consistency of our program and the importance of the kids and and so much value that it brings to them you know the fact kids in in our programs uh, since the very start and they're still with us uh, yeah. for, for over three years and and that's amazing because you know a lot of the kids they've they've had inconsistency from carers inconsistency from caseworkers and we've we've probably been the most consistent people in their lives and they're still with us and I, I have kids telling me that they love me all the time and I share that love where our whole program is based around three things which is love empathy and consistency and you know that's the magic are you a family absolutely yeah we're not and that's it it's like we're we're not like a family we are family and even to to that we we make sure we do activities that are really family based so for example with the kids in terms of hill country they've uh, they've just started up a bush food garden and you know we've got finger limes uh native mint and uh lemon myrtle and you know so looking after the the beautiful nature uh, native ingredients that this country offers to us and so the kids really look after that and and that feeds into our kitchen so the kids take the food from there they water it look after it maintain it take the food from there and they cook up a meal with our our chef ruby and ruby becomes that kind of mother you know she she um she's that mother hen in the kitchen yarning to the young kid about their school day and yeah because the kids come straight from school in the afternoons and and she's cooking up a feed and they're yarning to her and they share stories about you know barriers or challenges that they had and she shares feedback and mentors them and then what we do is we we sit down and we have a have a meal as a family and what we do is around changing that focus on the kids what they don't have rather than what they do have and being appreciative um of the of the little minute positive things that might be there and we get the kids to share one positive thing that happened in their day to day. And we go around the circle every session. And even to family, we had one young girl who just started with us. She's eight years old. Um, you know, she's been through so much, so many, she's had a lot of inconsistency. You know, mom and, and dad are not in the right space, um, affected by you know, drugs and, and things. And she's, um, you know, she felt quite lost in, in knowing or feeling a part of a family, right? Because of that kind of inconsistency there. But she came to our program and she'd been with us for, for two weeks. And I was in the session that day and 
I attend every session, by the way. It's a standard I have. I have to see the kids, my wife. And, uh, and, the, and, and she said, look, is this a place for kids who don't live with their mum and dad? And everyone kind of looked at me. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you know, you know what, sis, it's, it is. It's a, it's a place where a lot of kids haven't lived with their mum and dad. And, and, you know, I didn't grow up with my mum and dad. And, um, and one of the other young boys who's 14 jumped in and said, yeah, even though we're not blood related, we're family. And he, and he put his hand over his chest and he says, you're part of this family. And, you know, that was not scripted. We didn't ask that kid to do that. Um, but that just goes to show the, um, the feeling of, of family that they have in the program. And, and a lot of time mentors say to me, um, whenever the kids are out and about, uh, it's because we do a lot of one-on-one with our older kids who have been us, with, with us for over three years, um, the mentors in conversation share with me time to time that the, the boys have said this or the girls have said this about you and, and that they, or even when the kids, when they first come into the program, we have like an induction and talk about why we do what we do, who we are, so they know and trust and build, build a connection with us. And a lot of time they talk about uh, my story and talk about um, who, who runs the organisation. And because I'm quite a young fella and, you know, I've got older, a lot of older people than me in the organisation, they always go, what, is he the boss? <laughs> is he the boss? And, and oh they, uh, I'm 27. I'm 27. Nice. And yeah, and they uh, and they was like, ah, so he's the bot. And they're like, and then they go, oh, did he grow up in care? And there's just a light on their face, and just the smiles on their face shows that they um, they really do um, just because of their experiences. You know, they they look to someone who's been in some situation and. He's come out the other side, so I do believe, yeah, they, you're, they you're see some inspiration. You're showing that when you talk about you can't be what you can't see, they can see mm. you, they can see you that you you live their life. You what the stuff mm. they're going through and the some of the horrible things they're enduring, you live that, mm. and they're looking and seeing you now and going, maybe there's a different path I could end up, maybe I could actually end up like him, you know, and yeah, yeah that's the inspiration. Um, Definitely, tact a little bit. I mean, I could talk about it, that. That's fantastic. But I I want to talk a bit about um, the hill, the hill country, and 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 what that means to you. Um, So sometimes it's it's it seems um, as a non-Aboriginal Torres Strait person that sometimes it seems hard to really uh, understand the difference between the country and the people. The way that the um, the Aboriginal people talk about their country, it's it's as if the country is them. yeah, how how you feel about you know your country? Absolutely. So as you said, I, I didn't go. I didn't grow up on country uh, when I was a kid, and I never really felt that sense of belonging. And it was only until I got out of care that I connected with my family. You know, I I connected with them through Facebook. So they'd message me and, and, and introduced who they were in these big long paragraphs. And wow. for me, as, as a kid, I was brainwashed to think that my family didn't want me, family abandoned me. And when I read these messages, I kind of had that lens on. I was like, well, why are you messaging me now? Because, you know, I've been, this, I'm like 20 years old. Like, what, what do you want from me kind of thing? And Where were you, you know, that sort of- that's exactly right. That's the mentality I had. And, and then I did, but eventually it was for, for you know, in community, a lot of people say, oh, who's your mob? Where are you from? 
two things. Like they always say, oh yeah, who's your mob where you from? And for me, I was like, I don't really know. You know, I don't, don't really know. And it kept coming up, kept coming up. And I guess that's kind of like in community. If you don't know your mob is, people go, oh, are you even? Are you even mob? You know, and, and yeah. it's just, it's, that's the challenge. Do you belong? Where do you belong? Yeah. Exactly. That's it. And it's really, really um, important thing within our communities is like, you know, where you're from, who's your mob? And because it's around that whole, as I was saying, around, you know, skin and, and um, kingship, it's like, well, how are you connected? You might be connected to me or, um, yeah. So I, I didn't really know the importance. I, I wanted to know uh, what it was like, but I didn't really know. Um, and it was only until I got out of care, I connected with my family and I actually met my auntie Sono for the first time uh, in Redfern in Sydney. And she, had, you know, I, I talked to her on the phone first and she was just crying the whole time and, you know, made me cry as well because I was thinking, maybe maybe there is hope you know maybe maybe my family did actually want to know me and 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 it was when I went and met my auntie and she was yeah for the first time in person and same thing you know cheery so was I and I uh and even from the people from the local community in Redfern knew my family as well so that was crazy because she was down here for a workshop um women's business and uh that was yeah, that was amazing to see. But then she's like, well, let's take you back on country. You need to come back home and we need to meet everyone. And so I had this big family barbecue and right. I'd met everyone and at, eventually. Was the barbecue up around Fraser Island area or, or in Sydney? Oh, was it, yeah, it was in Brisbane. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, yeah, it was uh, all the way up. But yeah, it was in Brizzy and there was a big, I had my nans and my pops, my uncles, my aunties, my nieces, my nephews, my cousins, everyone. and. There was about, there was only a handful though. There was only about 80 people and that's small uh, because after talking to our family, you know, we've got thousands of family members, yeah, huge mob, really big mob. And um, and that was shocking to me because I didn't know. Like this is all just new to me. I was like, well, wait, do I have like heaps of family? They're like, yeah, you've got like thousands of cousins. They're like, I, I've grown up with family my whole life, but I haven't even met all of them. Like it's just got that many. And so I met the core people and my nan got up and made a big speech in front of everyone. And she'd said, you know, we, uh, we, uh, we also want to just acknowledge, sorry, yeah, I, uh, um, but well, I also want to acknowledge, um, acknowledge my grandson who's, who's made his way home, even though he didn't grow up with us, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've kept his family, his family strong for, for when he returned home. And, and, and she had said that, you know, I was me and my younger sister were the only two kids that were lost and never found. But now, now we're all complete. You know, we're they're home with us. Yeah. And I was special. I was, I was tearing up, crying. Yeah. Um, and people crying now, just hearing it. It's a beautiful story. Yeah, it's yeah, it was special. You know, going back and and then not long after that, I was able to go back on country and I danced on country with my uncles and aunties and nieces and nephews. And I think. The beautiful thing about culture is that it really taught me something. And, you know, I was, I was taught by my younger nephews how to dance and do some of the, the different, um, the, the different techniques and, and styles and, and, you know, teaching me the whole thing. And then we went out and danced on, on, on the sands there. 
And the beautiful thing that it taught me culture is that you're never too old to learn and you're never too young to teach because my younger uh, nephews were the ones teaching me. And, and, um, and I was able to be back on country. And I think even when I went to Gari, you know, I was actually on Fraser Island. I was able to go across Gari for about five days. And I was with my two songmen, uncle Fred and, and uncle Travis and, and they, and, and also my nana, Joycey Bonner, who's the bachelor linguist. So she was one of the people who've, who've helped revitalize the language, the bachelor language back home. And so I was with some really phenomenal people who just incredible knowledge holders. Right. And uh, really, really culturally strong people, but I was you know, taken to all different places there on country. And, and one significant place I went to um, was Eli Creek and there's a place there where, where no bachelor, no non-Indigenous people can go. And my uncle uh, goes, all right, come up here. I'm going to take you up here. And we ran up this big stream and um, and we had to go under this log and kept going through. And it was kind of like, it's like a rainforest kind of, you know, environment around you. And uh, anyways, he goes, he goes down and, and picks up this big, big boulder. And he goes, do you know what this is? And I'm like, it's a rock and he goes no it's not a rock he's like it's more than a rock he's like smashed it with the, the smaller rock put a bit of um bit of it on his and his hand put a bit of water mashed up and he goes it's ochre and, and he's like our people have been coming here for thousands of years isaiah and this is part of your responsibility um to to upkeep this knowledge and and then he started singing yeah he started singing and he's got a beautiful voice He's uh, even just released uh, a new song with my other uncle, Birds, um, Nathan. He's a rapper and it's called Bagalangi. And it's we'll on Trooper. We'll add it to the clip on this so that people get, get that. Yeah. Clip. Kind of give an understanding around his voice and the singing and the environment that I was, I was, I was being exposed to. So he started singing and that gave me goosebumps. And... And then he started painting me up and he gave me three lines and across my chest. He gave me three lines across my, my arms and three across my, my forehead. And with each stroke, he said, he'd, he'd speak in language and then he translated. So the first stroke, he said, whatever is good for the land must come first. And he said, and then did the second stroke. And he said, if there is, if there is plenty, uh, no, the second was, uh, do not touch or take anything that does not belong to you. And then the third law is, if there is plenty, then you must share. And he said, you know, these laws have been passed down from generation to generation for thousands of years. As a bachelor man, you have to uphold these laws. Um, and, and so he, and that was just one of the experiences. And, um, and I think being back on country, through the significant trauma that I've been exposed to as a kid, I had this weight, you know, I felt like there's just each kind of traumatic experience or each kind of um, thing that barrier or challenge I had to go through as a kid um, or the abuse was just a weight. And then when I went on country and connected, I'd felt the, you know, I've never felt so connected or at peace in my whole life. And I felt like that weight and burden was dropped and I felt weightless. It feels to me like um, the country healed you. Absolutely. Yeah, I, it, it truly did. And I think I, 
I always think about country and going back on country. If you ask most, I never knew what, why people, because when I was at school, for example, I went to boarding school and a lot of the Aboriginal kids would, would go back to country in the holidays and then they would never come back. And I'd go, like, it, it was just happen all the time. And I'm like, oh, what, why, why, yeah. Yeah, why are they not coming back? Like, I'm like, you know, they've got me, they've got friend, like other friends and they've got sport here, they've got opportunity, like, it's amazing. But the thing is that I realised, you know, being back in country myself and experiencing it and, and now, like, I, I constantly think about it. And it's, uh, you know, it's a feeling that you can't really describe it. Yeah. Isaac, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm conscious of time because I, I would I'm loving I'm loving this loving this story, um, and you sharing your really personal experiences. Just as some takeaways for our for our people, um, and you know, as we you and I had a chat earlier on, and I said, you know, I really feel that you know, as we move towards reconciliation, it, you know, it's so important the knowledge and understanding, and you've given us a lot of that today. But I'm just interested in, in your thoughts on what good looks like. Um, and, and I know, for example, the ABC has just announced they're going to put the traditional names underneath the English names, which, you know, places like Ireland have been doing that for years. <coughs> so I think it's fantastic. But um, for you, can you give us an idea, what are the, some of the things that we, you know, the, the non-Aboriginal uh, people of Grant Thornton can, can, um, can maybe do or help or support or just change our thinking? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, there's kind of two things with, with into that question. So there's, um, for me, reconciliation in Australia means acknowledging the things that have happened in the past. And the way to do that is through truth telling. So it's about hearing from the experts, you know, people who have experienced it and hold those stories to share them, you know, just like I am here today. And, and then it's making sure that the things that have happened in the past don't ever happen again. Um, but unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of different gaps that we have here in Australia that there's reasons why we aren't a reconciled country. And, and one of them is definitely out-of-home care. You know, we've got over, we've, we've got 20,070, 78 Aboriginal children in out-of-home care in Australia. That's a lot of kids. And I say that's a lot because that constitutes for nearly 40% of the whole total population of all kids in out-of-home care. And, you know, with the statistics I shared, the kids don't finish school. They are more likely to end up in the juvenile justice system, more likely to 14 times, more likely to become homeless. An average placement of 10 placements during their time in care, uh, 3.5 times more likely to be unemployed, uh, more likely to commit suicide, every kind of negative statistic you can think of, these kids make up of. And if we're a young country, if we've got a lot of our young kids in the care system, then the future's not looking too great. So that's why it's so important that we you know, support kids who are in out-of-home care because um, they're the future. But So that's kind of, you know, one one thing is... You are, leading, past. you are leading the way in showing examples of how we can actually break that cycle. And really 100%. Yeah. And then, and then there's... Um, and then there's what what everyone can do to play a part. So there's, you know, just like culture, I believe there's knowledge and then there's experience. And you can know where your mob's from. Like I, you know, as a kid, I I uh, eventually found out, or when I found out, I I, um, I was a bachelor and gutter man. I knew it, but I didn't feel it. And that's a different, you know, that's a different thing. Um, life is all about feelings and emotion. 
and that's what makes us human. And and so having um having having said that, that's what people can do. You know, understand more, so um, gain more knowledge. Even two bits of homework would be how do you find out um, you know what mob you currently where, where where do you live? You know what what country do you actually live? Because uh, it was only on MasterChef the other day when our team members are saying that they acknowledge country, you know, when they were out in the in the sticks there. Or, it, yeah, but you know, there's the whole of Australia is uh, Aboriginal country, so why don't they do it every every time, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's an important takeaway that everyone should know what country they're on, and then also to to know a little bit about language. So connect up, try and find how do you say hello in that language. Um, in my emails, for example, I include uh, my language, Bachelor language, uh, Galangojali, which means good day, or, or Nara, which means uh, hello, or um, Galangonyin, which means thank you, or Yangubana, which means yarn later. You know, all little things that I incorporate into the everyday. And I think the more we can embrace our Aboriginal culture, um, the more inclusive and reconciled country we're going to have. And um, I think it is about that knowledge, but then it's also about experience. So, you know, ideas to connect with community, uh, go and support your local um, Aboriginal communities by volunteering. And I think that really helps in, in, um, in dismantling the racism that we have in Australia, you know, and there's a lot there and I've experienced it as a kid. I experienced it. Um, I experienced it just, you know, going to the local grocery store every now and then, you know, with my Aboriginal hoodie, you know, and, um, and, and even with our kids, you know, on, on how they dress or, or how the color of their skin and, and things like that. So I think there's a lot of racism that still is here in Australia. We've seen it in many forms, whether it be uh, media, um, whether it be our sports, you know, our sports people or whoever. Um, and I think if there's more awareness around breaking down those stereotypes, the best way to do it is to, to actually go firsthand and, and um, work in community to, you know, donate to Aboriginal uh, organisations who are on the ground supporting our kids, such as I do, you know yourself, or, you know, buy from Aboriginal businesses because most of them, give that money back to community or help support the community in some way. Um, and, and even just, I guess, once you, you have the knowledge, you know, share that, share that. It all start, everything starts from a yarn, I believe. Every kind of massive change we've ever seen in the world, it's started from a conversation just like this. Um, so um, thank you so much, Yelling, uh, Yelling and Yin, um, Yakimara. Yeah. Uh, really appreciate it. And what's the word for um, goodbye? I'd love you to send us off with with that as well. I really just want to really appreciate everything you've done in sharing your knowledge. But one more one more thing, if you just uh, is it the, the say goodbye or see you see you again, what what would be the right phrase? Yeah. So we um so we or we say Galangor Jali. That's kind of good day goodbye. Um. So Galangor 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 Jali. Um. Mm -hmm. And. Looking forward to Yangubana, which means uh, looking forward to Yarn and Later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Isaac. Yeah. Much appreciated. Go, go, Charlie.